What's up gamers? I'm Tori Dominguez. And I'm Noah Hertz. And welcome to Press Start. And a happy belated Star Wars Day from us to you, or as I like to call it, the anniversary of the Kent State Massacre. When, Jesus Christ! <laughs> when when Ohio National Guard members fired blindly into a crowd of anti-war protesters, killing four and uh, paralyzing at least one. So, yeah. I, I don't think that was on purpose, but it is pretty convenient that Star Wars Day is on May 4th now. <laughs> yeah, it's, it is interesting. Um, my high school librarian attended Kent State around really? that time. Yeah, she was really cool. Um, yeah. Mrs. Y. She's high really school cool. librarians usually were. High school librarians cool. are really cool, but she would do this poetry cafe every year where, like, in April, she decked out the whole library. Like, it was, like, some 1970s, 1960s, like, poetry cafe with, like, lava oh, lamps so and stuff. And she had, like, pictures of protests, and she, like, went to one, like, a civil rights one, and yeah. she was really cool. Yeah. Um, and, like, every year she talked about Kent State, and I think that's... It was really powerful. That's really cool. Do you want yeah. to talk about some uh, video game news, too? Yes. <laughs> Let's fucking go. So I mentioned Star Wars at the top. We're coming right in. We're coming hot. Uh, you want to hear about an update on the development of the Lego Star Wars game by Travelers Tales that had all that crunch? Yeah, sure. So the reporter who originally wrote the story about the crunch at Travelers Tales and all of the nonsense therein that was jack yarwood he originally wrote his story for polygon we've mentioned it a couple of times on the show mm-hmm. now about the questionable uh environment that was surrounding the protracted development of the lego star wars saga or the what's it called lego star wars the skywalker saga there we go so yarwood wrote a follow-up story that came out yesterday when we're recording this so a few days ago by the time you hear this on may 4th kind of following up with some of the people he had spoken to and following up with additional people who came forward about what it was like inside of traveler's tales and i don't know tori you know how most of the time we talk about gaming labor news and stuff we usually just kind of come to a conclusion of like damn this sucks like yeah this one is like actually a little more complicated than that which is interesting like Mm -hmm. it sucks obviously it has a lot of the same like beats the uh the higher ups at the company were sending out all these emails that were like they're writing a story at polygon but they're going to use it to take attention away from the trailer for this game that you've worked so hard on don't let them do that to you. Uh... And yeah and discouraging people from talking to the press and all this stuff so you're, you're already setting up like the higher ups were trying to establish a, mm-hmm. a combative relationship between the workers and the press which is always a pretty huge red flag but there were some interesting new complaints that came to light that weren't really in the first article. And I don't know, since we know a little bit about how that stuff works, I kind of wonder how much of that was new information the reporter got or maybe information the reporter had heard previously but not had enough to substantiate. Because, like, yeah, I certainly know what it's like when you hear stuff from people but not in enough detail and not, you know, like, not in such a way that you can report it so you're just itching to get that information yeah i love backgroundy type stuff yeah. that you're just like oh exactly yeah. or when when you start a conversation with somebody and they immediately go this is off the record and you're like god damn it <laughs> so the, one of the things that came out this time was there was some concerns about preferential hiring there were two individuals who were hired in the middle of the development process for this game to relatively high up positions who had worked with another higher up at the company in a previous gig at sony So there was all this concern that, like, you know, they hadn't properly advertised this position. He brought in friends of his, and then these guys come in, and they think they're top dogs because they can kind of run the place and all this. But another dimension here, too, is that Traveler's Tales has exclusively held the Lego license for video games since 2008. Oh, wow. Yeah. um, Tori, are you looking at the Google Doc right now? Yeah, I am. Okay, damn. I was going to ask you. uh, for, for listeners, take a second, try to guess. In 2008, Traveler's Tales released the last game of theirs that was not a Lego thing, and it was a movie adaptation. I'm going to let it hang for a second. Try to imagine Twilight? Movies. Oh my god, that'd be really funny. <laughs> that would go hard. There'd be like a baseball minigame. <laughs> <laughs> It'd be the best minigame of all time, and you know it. The last Traveler's Tales game that came out that was not based on Lego was in 2008, 
and it was the movie adaptation of the Chronicles of Narnia, Prince Caspian. So that really takes me back. Wow. I don't know about you. That yeah, really takes I me love back. those. Those ben slap. Ba- that was the one Ben Barnes was in, right? I'm pretty sure. Yeah, uh, and like Regina Spector made like one of the sound songs in the soundtrack. I'm mainly just thinking about Ben Barnes being in it, and as a child being like, not like a child. I was, I was like, kind of less of a child at that point. Yeah, he was Prince Caspian, and I was like damn, I don't know. I think I really just want to be this guy, <laughs> you know? Yeah, sure, sure. Yeah, I really just want to be this guy. Um, yeah, this guy is so cool. I like seeing him shirtless often. <laughs> so Travelers Tales has exclusively held the license to Lego since 2008. Warner Brothers bought the studio in 2008 because they had previously worked on several games. The first Lego Star Wars game actually came out in 05, right around the time that Revenge of the Sith came out. So like yeah. they had done stuff with Lego but they mm-hmm. weren't exclusively working on Lego games. And then Warner Brothers snaps them up in 08 and says, you're going to work on Lego games forever. So that is from 2008 to now, they have made only Lego games. And, you know, they it, it seems like they kind of thought that was going to be the gig forever. They made a whole new engine for the Sky the Skywalker saga, like a an engine they built from the ground up that was one of the complaints in both of these articles about how hard it was to work in it. And I think going forward, they've said any Lego games they make are not going to use this new engine they make. Mm. They're just going to switch over to Unreal because it was too hard to work. But now, according to another scoop that was obtained by the website Video Games Chronicle, sticking all these down in the description, yeah, 2K is now also going to be sharing the Lego license to make Lego sports games. So not really sure who's asking for that. but Yeah, who's asking for Lego 2K basketball? I guess in a world I... where, like, you remember, like, the grip the Mario sports games had on, like, the sports party genre? That's in, true. Like, the GameCube era? Like, they're slipping. So, I guess I, I guess there's more of a window here. But there was some concern among the people that they talked to that, like, they weren't even sure what the future of the company was going to look like. It was saying internally, all of their pitches that they have for games they plan to make are still Lego-centric. And I guess they also told the reporter that there is still one Lego game that is actively in development that's not the Star Wars one. So, like, they've got buffer time. But there there was some serious concern about, like, they have done the same thing for 14 years now. And now, due to licensing stuff, that may kind of be jeopardized a little bit. So, yeah. it just sounds like it is, I don't know, it sounds like it's a hell of a place to work. And it's very interesting to me that, like, the initial article was really focused on the crunch, but this follow-up is like, the crunch is bad, but a lot of these people are just kind of worried whether or not they're going to have a job in a couple of years here. So, yeah. Yeah. That's very true. interesting. But it's very interesting. Although I will add that, like, not knowing whether or not you'll have a job in a couple of years is like a staple of that industry. Yeah. Unfortunately. Yeah. So it looks like, like, Lego stuff was really their bread and butter, and they're going to have to come up with something new yeah uh, pretty soon yeah maybe or maybe not maybe maybe skywalker saga will sell such gangbusters that like this is the path that they get to be on for a long time but and it is selling well it's selling well and it's reviewing really well so it's it's really interesting and it's it's got to be freaky to be in a position where you are watching the sales of a lego star wars game and going like really hope that this doesn't throw my whole situation into jeopardy here so yeah very true. So I do have another follow-up, because you just did a follow-up on the Lego Star Wars thing. I do have a little bit like more developments on what is happening with this Nintendo labor uh, lawsuit, this Nintendo labor complaint. Um, IGN published this really good like in-depth article like detailing more of what is happening. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's really something. I highly recommend that anyone here uh, reads this IGN article. We're going to link it in the show notes. It's really something. So if you are a contractor, you work in a different building than like Nintendo proper. And these are both like on the property of like where Nintendo is, Nintendo of America is. And, 100 uh, Mario Lane or something. Yeah, yeah. In the Seattle area. And... But just the dichotomy, like you can see pictures of it, is really something. In the contractor building, which first of all, contractors wear blue badges, full-time permanent employees wear red badges. So everyone can look at you and immediately know. 
So the blue badges work in a building that is like really old. Um, they were making shit on Windows XP. God, like that's so nuts. <laughs> Windows XP. Like I think those were that's what was installed on like our computer lab computers in like elementary school. Yeah. When you first learn how to like type in a Word document, like I'm pretty sure that was Windows XP. The oh. the, the bonkers <laughs> thing there too was, you know, in the article they mentioned how that Seattle office was very state of the art when it was open. But like this is a this seems like a classic case of like the state of the art office building that we don't really have to update the stuff that much, do we? And suddenly 20 years have gone by and your state-of-the-art office building hasn't updated any of its computers and you have boxes full of VHS tapes. Yes, there's the boxes like, full of VHS tapes. There's like, it's like a time capsule. It's really crazy. And then uh, the normal Nintendo building is like very nice. They have a, Mar a Cafe Mario, which I would like a Cafe Mario. I think every workplace should have a Cafe Mario. <laughs> frankly. And it's just very different. They have more updated tech. Things are better. And that basically from the experience of contractors, it goes, it's just very pervasive. Like in the blue building, like the blue badges building, and some people attribute this to being part of Japanese work culture, but I don't know. People would look, kind of stare and make comments if you left your desk even to use the bathroom or even to anything, like if, even to look at your phone. Um felt constantly surveilled. Um, if you spent a little too much time on your laptop at Cafe Mario as a non-red badge employee, you would get looked at. Um, so just those little things that like maybe can't be documented in a lawsuit but are just like those unspoken culture things that just, yeah. those things add up over time to make you feel so uncomfortable in a workplace. Um, and it's really sad to see it. And it's even sadder that, like, and also more news has come out about this, about, like, how Reggie, like, the former president of Nintendo of America, has come out and been like, wow, this article made me really sad. It was never like this when I was in yeah. charge of it. And it's like, mm, uh, some of these complaints of people are coming back, like, several years. Like, you, yeah. you were in charge of it when it was like this for contractors. I thought that was very interesting, specifically the timeline here that they talk about, because the, the one individual that they spoke to who used to work there and doesn't anymore talked about how, like, the 2009 period was awesome, because that was, that was when the Wii was at its peak, that was when the DS was king, like, yeah. this, was, this was when to work at Nintendo because Nintendo was on top, and this was Nintendo was on top because they were taking big swings, but, like, they, they were talking about how, you know, things start to go on, the 3DS comes out, the 3DS bombs initially. That's true. Iwata dies. Well, and there was that, remember that, I remember when this happened too, because um, I know you, you had a 3DS, or you have a 3DS. Did you get your 3DS after the price drop or before the price drop? I, I got it like as soon as it came out, so presumably before... Yeah. I got a launch 3DS because my birthday was like a week after the 3DS came out. And so my mom was like, what do you want for your birthday? And I was like, I only want the 3DS. I don't want anything else. So that was what I got. And they had to drop the price like just, it was like six months after it came out. It was something crazy. And that everything was going so bad. Iwata took a pay cut. Like it was a really huge deal. A big pay cut. They were really priding themselves on not firing people and whatnot. So you have this this forward facing like we're not firing anybody. Iwata's taking a pay cut. We're keeping everybody on. And then the article describes how you know people who had been there for a long time were kind of being not necessarily pressured, but heavily suggested that they just go ahead and retire. Like it, it's just yeah. crazy to read about since Nintendo has been Nintendo has flown under the radar for so long as like the dream company to work for. So yeah, for sure. Yeah, and then it details how things go for the downhill once like Iwata passes away pretty suddenly. Yeah. Um, so they're kind of left floundering for like someone who could fill shoes like that. Um, the Wii U just absolutely fucking bombed, um, and then it kind of gets to where it is now. But it's so interesting because like the Switch has performed 
in terms of sales, like it has performed very well. And like some of their games have done really well, especially like in the pandemic. Um, and this is a problem still. So yeah, yeah it's it's sad. It's very interesting. Yeah. Um Reggie also just like bring up Reggie again, like a Reggie stand or anything, but like he's also coming out with a book about what it was like to yeah. to be in charge of Nintendo. And I, I, I'm kind of interested in it. I'm kind of interested in it. So yeah, it's yeah, I more, think, uh, more about that. An especially interesting angle for all this too is this wasn't usually pitched as like a reason why Nintendo had a nice workplace. This was usually more in terms of like the console wars arguments, but like Nintendo is old money. Like the company yeah. was started in 1890 when they sold playing cards and then toys and stuff. Like they, they're not hurting for money. Like the Wii U era did not hurt them. It might have it hurt them in terms of their shareholders. It hurt them in terms of their stocks. But like they've got money. So the the thought process, at least when when I heard this stuff, was like, yeah, but like you said, like Nintendo's doing good right now. Like I don't really. But it just goes to show that it, Nintendo is Nintendo does exactly what everybody else is doing in terms of worker exploitation. So yeah, exactly. Um, I haven't read much about this in a while, mm -hmm. but I do remember um, a while ago. I think this must have been like around the time oh some really bad wildfires were happening on the West Coast mm -hmm. two years ago. But there was you know every time a wildfire happens on the West Coast, there's a renewed conversation about prison labor. Yeah. And how prisoners are often firefighters, not really by choice, yeah. and are making just, like, slave wages. Um, yeah. It always renews the conversation of, like, did you know X company uh, hires prison labor? And, like, this has been the case with, like, I believe Whole Foods at one point. Mm -hmm. uh, big companies target Victoria's Secret, big retailers. At one point, I was looking at, like, a, a list of, like, uh, corporations that, like, have paid for this type of labor. Mm -hmm. uh, and Nintendo was one of them. I don't know if that's still hmm. the case. Some of these yeah, companies have like really like have been like, okay, shit, you caught us. Like we no longer do this type of thing. Yeah. Um, but it just shows like there's no company that's above this, no matter how beloved they are. And that's why you gotta you gotta keep them on their toes. You gotta keep them accountable. Just some just some cursory googling here. Nintendo was included in a list of people who were using other companies that utilized prison labor. Specifically, the allegations that I'm seeing through just some kind of quick Googling here, it looks like there was allegations that they were contracting with companies that were using labor from factories, using labor from Uyghur internment camps in China. Damn. That's actually worse than I thought it would be. Some other instances <laughs> in the early 2000s about U.S. prisoners being used to help make Game Boys and that kind of stuff. So, yeah, it sounds like there's there's definitely some stuff there. But this is uh, not to be not to be glib about it, but I mean, this is unfortunately how this stuff works. Like even even the happiest, most smiley face company with the the nicest, coolest president very regularly has an underbelly like this that is being fueled by people of lower socioeconomic classes or specifically, you know, what is basically legal slave labor. Before we move on, can I share one more thing that I thought was really interesting from the Nintendo article? Yeah. I caught this. This was one other thing I caught. I caught this on my second read. There was mention in here. I will, I'll just read this little part here. It says, uh, blah, blah, blah goes for anybody who's working on an initiative that has lost its luster. Even successful mobile games like Fire Emblem Heroes suffer from this, with writers being expected to research characters via fan wikis due to an overall lack huh? of documentation. Huh? Whoa! Fan Whoa. wikis? They're people, using fan wikis? People are out here on the Fire Emblem wiki to work on Fire Emblem Heroes? That's great. And... I read that and it was just like, so it's not just us. Like, it's not just it's not just the fans who aren't allowed to play the older stuff because Nintendo can't monetize it the amount they want. It's also the people in-house because they're just not, there's just not, there's not like a lore Bible sitting around. You can't just like, I guess you can't just like call up the Fire Emblem dudes, be like, hey, 
uh how old is the dragon girl supposed to be is she a thousand gotcha okay like yeah oh my god i i thought that was just like mind-blowing that's crazy man these these fandom wiki editors are really really carrying the weight they have no idea what their shit is being used for but wow. uh, but but yeah, that article is going to be in the description. Really, really incredible reporting from Kat Bailey at IGN. Um, if you're not familiar with her work, she's both an editor at IGN and she also is a host on the video game podcast Acts of the Blood God, which I really enjoy. Um, really, really super great reporting. Highly recommend everybody read it. We didn't spoil all the interesting stuff. Like, there's it's still worth reading. Yeah, there's still some good nuggets in there. Um, but anyway, speaking of stupid shit that companies have done, what's going on at Square Enix? Bro, what what isn't going on at Square? Enix? What is what isn't going on at Square Enix? Uh, well, I logged on the other day and saw that all of my bored apes were worth considerably less money than they were the day before. <laughs> Tell me what's going on at Square Enix story. Well, okay, so this is just like the Sparknotes version from what I gathered on Twitter because this is all coming out like around the same day. Uh that we were also reeling from like the Roe v. Wade leak and my job ah, went yeah. fucking haywire. So for what I've gathered, Square Enix sold like the franchise Tomb Raider, which is mm. pretty big. And they were like, we're doing this move so we can like invest more in the blockchain. Yeah. <laughs> if, am I right about this? No, you're, you're pretty damn close. Um... And then at the same time, like crypto is like tanking. Like, yeah. It's just like... Just poetic, poetic irony here. So what Square Enix sold off more than just specifically Lara Croft. They sold off Eidos Interactive, Crystal Dynamics, and Square Enix Montreal. So this was this was the bulk of their their Western stuff. Because, like, you know, Square Enix proper, Square Enix Japan, is responsible yeah. for your Final Fantasies, your Dragon Quest, and your stuff like that. But Square Enix in the West through buying stuff up and through establishing Square Enix Montreal has come to own companies like Eidos and Crystal Dynamics. So Crystal Dynamics, they are the folks behind the Tomb Raider games, like you mentioned. They made the Avengers game that came out to a hot, wet fart, like, what feels like eight years ago. (laughs) I forgot about that. Yeah, everybody did, dude. Everybody forgot about it. Yeah. Um, And then it includes Eidos Interactive, which used to be its own thing. They're the folks behind the Deus Ex games and Thief. So, like, this oh, is... Oh, yeah, Thief! This is a, uh, I want to say Crystal... I don't remember which one of these it is, but one of these companies is the Just Cause games. Like, these are these are big franchises. That's Square, games, yeah. And they sold them for $300 million to Embracer Group. And this is a, this is a Swedish company that now owns and i'm pulling this from a polygon article i will drop in the description ultimate shout out to michael mcwerder over at polygon for helping us do this embracer interactive owns gearbox so the uh whatchamacallit the borderlands guys they own thq nordic saber interactive coke media deep silver and coffee stain studios i'm not super familiar with some of those but i know you know thq nordic publishes a lot of smaller games they did the darksiders games they had a big hit on their hands with the remake of the spongebob game like pretty yeah. pretty big stuff one in the grand scheme of things 300 million kind of sounds like chump change to me like yeah i was actually surprised it was that little yeah especially after so many like huge huge purchases yeah, bananas, like in the billions. Acquisitions. yeah yeah this didn't really seem like a lot of money but uh in actu- uh, I'm pulling straight from the Polygon article. A quote, uh, McWhorter writes, Square Enix says the sale of its studio and IP will establish, quote, a more efficient allocation of resources, unquote, and enable, quote, the launch of new businesses by moving forward with investments in fields including blockchain, AI, and the cloud. <laughs> the, so, uh, the cloud, not the cloud strife or cloud yeah, cloud yeah it's it, it says blockchain ai and cloud strife specifically <laughs> god cloud gaming cloud gaming yeah um yeah and so this is happening this like the next day after this was announced then we're starting there was like an article in bloomberg that was like the nft market is crashing <laughs> um, <laughs> the bubbles popping uh 
your your cloud strife buster sword nft is not going to be worth dog shit by the time you get it. it um it's just it's funny for like the worst reasons on one hand like i like seeing people fail when they try to get involved with nfts and crypto and stuff especially when like they had the whole time this bubble was happening to get into this and they waited until the very end yeah you have a little bit of like schadenfreude about it yeah but on the other hand uh i don't know it's very strange that they're selling off these like money-making studios i did see some reactions to this were like does this mean we can get a new deus ex game now <laughs> so uh i don't know i guess that's no. one way that's one way to take the news um yeah i guess so that's really something wow yeah yeah <sighs> i don't know i thought that was that was pretty fun though uh i wrote in our notes here goofy ass decision which i feel like is pretty much it's very up. goofy it's very goofy <laughs> Man, I I was wondering what company was going to risk it all for for apes and, you know, these past couple months. I'm like, who's going to do it? Who's going to really stick their neck out here? Well, you know, and... there there were a couple other instances of this, too. Um, the developers behind Stalker 2, which is due out this year, probably maybe going to get pushed back a little bit. Uh, the developers GSC Game World announced that they were going to be involving blockchain technology so that people could have, like, they could own a piece of the game and they could have their own customizable experience and people clowned on them so hard that they backed away from it. <laughs> you know how you own a piece of a game is when you buy it physically. Speaking of that, I saw another article a few days ago. I I think I might have seen a tweet about it, but I'm, I did find another article here on IGN. The headline is, Reggie fils says he's a believer in blockchain. And I guess this came as part of the interviews for the book tour he's on right now. And he thinks that the blockchain is really compelling technology. And like, look, I'm not going to claim to know that much about crypto. Most of what I've learned about crypto has been against my will. What I have learned? Everything you know, I have learned about crypto <laughs> has been against my will, Noah. I think there are aspects of it that are really interesting technology. I will give you that. It's just that so far... Everything people are trying to use this tech for has either turned into a Ponzi scheme or started from day one as a Ponzi scheme. So when people tell me, like, hey, uh, when you're playing Mario Kart, don't you want to own a non-fungible version of that cart that you like? And I'm like, no. Who is playing video games for that kind of experience? Isn't that? Yeah, they have those. They're called Amiibos. Right? <laughs> buy, you can buy Amiibos are NFTs. They they're pretty fungible, but I'm they, just kidding. They I don't know. I don't know. There's something there. If I buy an amiibo and I hack off one of its arms and put on like something new there, then it is kind of non-fungible, I guess. Um Yeah, I just I don't really understand the mindset. Maybe I just need to reframe my brain here, Tori. I don't really understand people who play something like Elden Ring and they're like, damn. I wish I could mint this build on the blockchain. Like, I don't, I don't get it. I don't, no. I don't understand why you need to monetize your gaming experiences. That's just, like, did people not see what happened with Axie Infinity, where it basically created, like, chattel labor in order to play Pokemon, basically? Like, yeah, I, yeah. I don't get it, man. So. <laughs> Uh, speaking speaking of people doing bonkers stuff, is there is there new news about Bobby Kotick? What isn't there news about Bobby Kotick? <laughs> we have to he, keep talking about this motherfucker. Every day, this man wakes up and chooses violence. Um, so the city of New York, like New York City itself, mm-hmm. is suing Bobby Kotick. <laughs> um, which would you get the city to like give enough of a shit about you to sue you? Like, what have you done? Especially the city um, of New York. There's so many right? shitty New Yorkers. Like Right. And like the city government itself is like corrupt as hell. Like it, it's it's really something and to, for them to all be like, we as a body are suing you. <laughs> um, but they are. And they're basically saying that he uh rushed into the Microsoft deal to avoid dealing with his company's issues. And, like, that's pretty, that's pretty damning. I believe that, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> um, yeah, they said, quote, Given Connick's personal responsibility and liability for Activision's broken workplace, Yikes. it should have been clear to the board that he was unfit to negotiate a sale of the company. But it Yikes. wasn't. Connick and his fellow directors, uh, 
a means to escape liability for their egregious breaches of fiduciary duty. Damn. But, yeah. I mean, Activision has been dealing with so many lawsuits ever yeah. since, like, everything that's gone down. I mean, I'm looking at their, as tallied in their last quarterly filing. I'm just going to read this one. Please do. Um, one federal harassment suit, one discrimination suit from California, one purported class action suit, four shareholder lawsuits consolidated to two, oh uh, eight lawsuits over the Microsoft merger, but four have been voluntarily dismissed, and two 220 complaints. These are like fiduciary complaints, okay. uh, including the one from New York City. And plus, coming up... An SEC investigation and insider trading inquiries from the oh SEC and the Department of Justice. It's like a it's like a clown car of legal problems. It's yeah, like, <laughs> like like to the com- like to the average person, they're like, oh yeah, Activision, like real bad sexual harassment. That's like the tip of the iceberg. Yeah, here, like there's like so there's a lot. And, and the wild part here too is I pro- I imagine like at least the higher ups when they when they sold off, they were probably like. We're done. Wash our hands. We we are. We're getting our golden parachutes and we're getting the fuck out of here. So I'm yeah. really glad people are like, now hold on just a second. Because, you know, I in a tweet thread about all of this, I saw a tweet where somebody said something like, damn, after the acquisition, I finally felt comfortable playing and buying Activision games again. And I was like, that's uh... questionable, frankly. But like, I mean, you do you you do you in order to square what level of buy-in you have with like capitalism and whatnot. But like, uh, that's that's what they wanted. Like they they sold off, and the idea was we can put all this behind us, and people can go back to playing Overwatch again and not feeling bad about it. And well, if they want to, I I, I hear people don't really like Overwatch much these days. But yeah, yeah. Overwatch two did not help. But yeah. yeah, Overwatch 2, baby. Overwatch 2. Um, yeah, yeah, this, so, this is nuts. This is fucking insane. Yeah, bit of a nuts week, honestly. I was, I was like, I remember texting this morning, like, has anything happened? I don't think so. No. And then, yeah. I mean, I say that every week, and then yeah. we fill out this Google Doc, and it ends up being a goddamn monster. Yeah, this so, bag was long. Yeah, it is long. Anything else you got? No, I think that's all I got as far as news. Uh, you want to you wanna tell me what you've been playing? Okay, so instead of playing two games... Huh? I'm just playing one. Ooh. Okay, so I just got really burnt out switching back and forth between two like high levels of commitment, very long games. Mm-hmm. And I got to this point where I felt like I was kind of stagnant in both of them, and I was like, I need to like break the ice on one, and in order to do that, I need to f- just focus on one. And so I made like a shit ton of progress in Elden Ring a couple weeks ago, and I just felt like the momentum was there. You know, like, not that I don't like Persona 3, I really do enjoy Persona 3, but something happened with Elden Ring that I was just like, I see the light at the end of the tunnel. Yeah. Like, I need to go towards it. And so, I've been doing that. I've been sinking, like, hella hours into Elden Ring. Um, I got a summon that, I was able to get the summon by completing Ronnie's questline, which is a whole nother, mm-hmm. like, monster in of itself, but... Uh, I got this summon that fucking breaks the game. Mm. Like, I've been able to defeat, like, two pretty, like, story, like, main-ish bosses on, like, my second or third attempt uh, with right. this summon. S- spoilers for Elden Ring, but close your, close your little ears if you don't want to hear it. What summon is this? Black Knife Tiche. Oh, okay. Interesting. Yeah. she You get her by facing her and defeating her in one of those Evergales. Okay, yeah. Yeah, she's so fucking hard, so fast, it is, like, so bad, and, like, the worst thing about those Evergales is, like, you can't grab a friend online and have them solo them. You can't use one of your summons, like, it's just you, and and that that bastard, and, like, it sucks, but if you can defeat her, it's very hard, honestly, harder than almost every boss I've faced in this game, straight up, Mm -hmm. you you have some serious power Damn. with her as your summon. She does consume hella FP, though. So, like, <laughs> like 124 FP. Oh, damn, that's a lot. Or something. Yeah. Like, the whole bar, probably, if not more than what you already have. So, like, level up your mind if you are really trying level to get her. Level up your mind. Yeah. Level up your mind. And you know one way you can level up your mind <laughs> is by purchasing the brain supplement 
that have been kind enough to sponsor our show. <laughs> Please, uh, we need we need ads. We need sponsorships. We need, we need Alex Jones's uh, brain supplements to sponsor our show. Oh my god! But you're still having fun with Elden Ring, though. You're not. I'm still having fun with Elden Ring. Yeah. Okay, I actually did get to the point this afternoon where I'm no longer having fun with Elden Ring, <laughs> and that's because of Melania. Oh, okay. I have hit Melania. I'm no longer having a good time. Yeah, I've heard I've heard that from people online that and when they get there. Yeah, like I know people who have beat her and like it involves like all sorts of shit, like mimic tear, rot breath, online summons. Like yeah. people are just like You gotta get the let me solo her guy to come in and help you. Well, he's only on the PC and oh, he's on the no. PS5. But there are there are uh, imitation let me solo hers like there's let me solo her knockoff guys who are like okay. let me kill her yeah or I will face her it's a whole genre like, of I need like now. I need great value <laughs> let me solo her please anyone honestly you need you need can I fight her <laughs> honestly you don't even need someone who's good you just need someone who can like be a punching bag and then you can yeah. just like hit her like that's literally mm-hmm. all I need that's literally all I need my so summon funny. doesn't get killed by her that's how strong my summon is. I'm getting killed by her. So that's my problem. Black Black Knife Tanache is looking around like, what happened? Yeah, Black Knife Tiche is like, the fuck? I, I have like three-fourths of my health bar and you're getting killed already? Like, yeah. it's better than me. Um, But yeah, that's that's where I am. I do really want to like beat this game like before I focus on Persona 3. And then once that happens, I'm like all in on Persona 3. That's That's... I'm trying to be. I'm really excited to hear, though, that you went from I'm not sure Souls games are for me to I'm at the hardest boss of Elden Ring and I'm just going to keep beating my head up against her until I win. So I know, my transformation. Kip, Kip would be proud. Kip yeah, would be proud you've really me. evolved into like a like a Souls, Soulsborne type. So I don't know. I don't know if I could play one of those like, like the other ones don't have summons. And I'm just saying like, like Black Knight is like really carrying me. Mm-hmm. So, I don't know. We'll see. What about you? Um, played a few things this week. Uh, don't laugh. I played some Fortnite. I, uh... <clears throat> <laughs> uh, so, like, once... have, have you heard this song called Chug Jug? I, ha- I have heard this song called Chug Jug. <laughs> okay, uh, okay. A, fr- it's a, a friend of mine, a friend of mine had a short-lived podcast. Ben, if you're listening, I hope you bring Sample Platter back. Uh, a friend of mine had a podcast for a hot second he was bringing on smaller artists who just like did sampleable music and talking to them about it and he actually interviewed the chug jug with you kid i'll drop a link <gasps> to his podcast in the description it's crazy oh my god it was nuts and it was so funny because i listened to the episode and he just sounds like a normal guy like the we got a number one victory royale voice is like 100 percent put on he's like <laughs> he's just like a normal dude that was really fun yeah i do like a. I do a check-in on Fortnite like once every fiscal quarter, or uh, maybe like maybe like a, a once for your every... shareholders. Yeah, for my shareholders, I do a check-in like every two fiscal quarters just to kind of see what's going on in Fortnite. Like, what are the kids talking about? I'm not even sure kids are playing Fortnite anymore. They added a new mode into Fortnite called No Build Mode, which makes it functionally just PUBG. It makes it basically just player unknowns battlegrounds, which. I'm kind of okay with because I never was able to grok the building mechanic of Fortnite. Every time I would play it, I had such a hard time getting wins because I would get down to like the last five people or ten people if I was lucky. And then everybody around me is building like these like quick as possible, building these fucking obelisks that they're hiding in and sniping from. And I'm down here like trying to build a slope and a wall and then another slope so I could cl- and I just yeah. I we, these kids have been doing Minecraft like in utero. Exactly. Like, that, that's the exactly. thing. Like they have a, an innate advantage over us. The <laughs> no build mode is fun. It is interesting though, considering the developers behind PUBG Blue Hole Interactive or Blue Hole Entertainment, they sued the. Fortnite devs at Epic Games back in 2017 and said that Fortnite was too similar to PUBG and they ended up dropping it but like it was a copyright infringement lawsuit so Fortnite taking out and then and of course like there is still build modes this is just a separate mode but the fact that there is now a mode that is like this is our big new thing it's Fortnite minus the thing that legally made it Fortnite um now it is that mode does just kind of feel like PUBG with a 
coat of paint on it that is every IP known to man. And let me tell you, man, this game is just, it is just a, it's a melting pot of every licensing deal you can possibly imagine. And it's kind of insane. Like, uh, I don't know. I, I think it sucks in a way because so much of the marketing is like, we got Doctor Strange in the new update. But it's also like, I can't think of a single other game known to man where you can make Boba Fett, Paul Atreides, Naruto, uh, Blanca from Street Fighter do the dance from the music video for BTS's Dynamite. So, I mean, yeah, that's yeah. tough sell. Counterpoint. Counterpoint. Uh, Paul Atreides was born to do the gritty. I don't know. Like, <laughs> 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 I, it's it's really interesting. They're they're I don't know. Fortnite's really kind of fascinating to me. I another thing is the current Fortnite update has like a big thing going on because of Star Wars Day convening with the release of the new Obi Wan TV show. So there's like Star Wars stuff happening in game. And so I was playing one game where I was like up on a hill and I had a gun and I saw some people in the distance fighting and I saw someone like holding what looked like a lightsaber, like deflecting bullets, like bullets from a gun. Not, like, yeah. laser shots, like, bullets from a gun back at them. And I was far enough away that I thought maybe it was an NPC. And then I ran up and was able to pick off one of those people. Because, like, you know, when two people are fighting, you kind of sneak in and usually clean things up. And they dropped a lightsaber. So there's, like, a there's an event going on right now, or maybe that's just this season, where, like, lightsabers are equipable weapons, as are the blaster rifles that stormtroopers use. And the stormtrooper rifles are broken as fuck because they have <laughs> infinite ammo. And they have, like, a heat cooldown that eventually hits, but, like, it takes forever. And then there's just lightsabers. There's, like, lightsaber combat in this game, which is, like, oh, not, wow. it's not bad, but it's just, it's very weird. It's very strange. I hadn't seen any commercials on YouTube or on TV that were, like, download Fortnite. We got lightsabers now. Like, it's just a thing that is in the game. So, I don't know. That's kind of kind of where I'm at with Fortnite. I'm not sure if I would recommend it, but I do like to occasionally download it and see... See what all the kids are carrying on about. Um, sure. Let me see. I also didn't play a whole lot of Elden Ring this week, but I did make some progress on Persona 3. Just want to say something really interesting I've noticed about Persona 3 without really like spoiling any story stuff, either for you or for people in the audience, is that in Personas 4 and 5, every individual party member has, you know, their persona. They have their, their magic stand basically that they summon to do magic but in those games every party character has a persona that their persona can evolve into when you max out their social link so like oh yes yeah you know how like when yeah, you reach level 10 with uh ryuji and then ryuji gets a new stronger persona that has better stats and can learn a couple of new things and that's how it was in four and five but in three and i can't speak for all the characters because i haven't gotten all the characters but it seems like the characters get their leveled up personas in this game through the story, not through like you doing their social links. Like the characters themselves will come and reach like an apex in their own story arc and their own problems that they're going through, and then they will get their leveled up persona. And I think it's really cool. Like I like that more, it, actually. I do, too, because it makes the characters feel more like characters that are going through their own individual problems and lives, and you are just there as a force. Like, you, you can interact with them and you can push things along, but they still have lives outside of their relationships with you. Where, like, a lot of parts of Persona 5 and Persona 4, too, do kind of feel like those characters kind of revolve around you. Like, they don't really have much of a life outside of interacting with the main character. So, like, to get the occasional cutscene that is, like, a party character and a different character, and I'm not there, is, like, really kind of cool to see. So, I'm really I'm really enjoying that. I think that's kind of a, a cool thing. Um, yeah, that makes me excited to get back into it. Yeah. I was going to ask you one thing without, like, being too spoilery. Mm -hmm. So, can you have individual social links with your team members as a girl? Yes, I can. Um, okay. Some of them have taken me a little longer. Like, I, I don't think this is spoilery at all. Like, uh, starting a social link with, like, Mitsuru, for example. Like, the she, the older girl who is, like, kind of hoity-toity and kind of smarter than everybody. I have to have, like, genius-level academics. And yeah, so that's how it is with mine. Like, yeah, so it's... Be, like, 
It's the max same level thing. charming for Yukari. Oh, okay, uh, Max level courage for Fuka. Just huh. interesting. So, been trying to work on that. In my game, it's max level charming for Akihiko, but there's no requirement that I can tell for Yukari. Can you date him? Uh, I think I can. I don't think I'm charming enough. Or I think I finally reached the point of being charming enough to date Akihiko, but now I can't find him. So, like, I don't know where he is. Like he's never he's never outside of school. I have no idea where the bastard goes. But uh but yeah, it it does seem like there are either like story triggers or like a day where I really needed to talk to somebody to start their social link and I might have missed it for a character or two. But yeah, it's it's very interesting. Um I remain I remain uh excited to talk about that with you once the two of us have beaten that game. Yeah, um, I'm working on it. I just gotta finish Elden Ring. I'm like, you gotta I'm finish like Elden Ring, yeah, you're too tunnel. close right now with Elden Ring. And like I've seen people do go through this and like once you've beat Melania, there's like one more area left. You know what I mean? Like I'm so close. Isn't her name Melania? Melania. I just fucking yeah. say Melania. Yeah, you said Melania. Like Donald Trump's <laughs> like Donald wife. Donald Trump's wife. You gotta defeat her. Fuck me. <laughs> I have to I must defeat her. And once you once you defeat Melania, there's like literally one area left. Yeah. So I I just gotta do it. I feel like Melania's boss room would be. You just said uh, it. You just said Melania, bro. No, I know. I'm making a point. I think Melania's boss room would be like uh, the White House made up with the Christmas decorations from that one year. Oh my god! (laughs) It's like all blood red. Yeah, I think that's where you would fight her. Like you walk into the room and it's empty, and she like steps out. She like a you know when you fight like the assassin characters bosses in Elden Ring, and they like materialize and they have a big sword. Like I feel like that's what the boss fight yeah. is. Yeah, yeah. What kind of weapon? Be. You think she got a big scythe? Yeah, definitely. Think, uh, oh, scythe? definitely. Are you kidding? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, couple of shout outs. This isn't necessarily stuff I've been playing, but Citizen Sleeper dropped today when we're recording this, and it'll definitely be out by the time you're listening to this. Already picking up some really really good praise. It is a tabletop-esque narrative rpg set in a cyberpunk world that was developed by cyberpunk fans who dislike capitalism therefore it's in the spirit of cyberpunk as far as i'm concerned um we talked a bit about this a while back Mm -hmm. i've had my eyes on it for some time it dropped and it dropped on switch too so i picked that up i'm very excited to mess with it this weekend it kind of seems very up my alley. It's going to be yet another game I'm jumping into that's like very text heavy and very um very narrative heavy, but that's the kind of thing that like that's going to be perfect for the Switch. I will be able to lay down in bed and engage with this game. Uh Waypoint is like lavishing praise on it. A couple other outlets are really lavishing praise on it. So I'm excited to play that. And uh new music dropped from my, my one of my favorite dungeon synth artists um Corey, have you ever listened to Hole Dweller? No. So uh, is that an Elden Ring character? It's not. It's a. Uh, <laughs> it's a. The Hole Dweller is a project from a fellow who lives in Athens, Georgia. It's ambient music that is inspired by the Lord of the Rings, and it kind of feels like it's tailor made to like play in the background when you're playing like a D and D session or like something like that. But um, I kind of love to just have it on in the background while I work. Uh, Hole Dweller do- dropped the new track. It's fucking awesome, especially since the person behind Hole Dweller released a statement like a month or so ago where they were like, I'm putting this project on indefinite hiatus. And then I got a notification from Bandcamp that was like, new music from Hole Dweller. And I flipped. Um, for people looking to get into Hole Dweller, if you're really feeling like you need more Lord of the Rings inspired dungeon synth and ambient music in your life, I cannot recommend enough a 1.5 hour long YouTube video called Hole Dweller 1.5 hours of Hobbit synth lo-fi Shire music where <laughs> I can, that title <laughs> that title it's great um, it's great the the series of Hole Dweller albums which were released on both cassette and digitally there's three of there's four of them I'm sorry four of them and they tell the story of a hobbit whose name is Jamwine Hamfiddle and his misadventures through Middle Earth, and they were released over the course of 2019 to 2021. And so the 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 guy behind Hole Dweller took the music and put it to these these scenes, like video captures from the Lord of the Rings online, just like these ambient vistas. So it'll be like a song, and you'll just have like a long capture of the woods of Rivendell or all these cool vistas. 
and it's nice you can put it on you can keep it in another tab while you're writing stories about bobby Kotick being sued by new york city or you can pop over and you can look at like the vistas and um i think it's really cool big shout out to hole dweller um I'm a big, big ambient music head over here. <laughs> so. Yeah, I might have to incorporate that into my working playlist because what well, it's actually hard. It, well, it's kind of hard to listen to things when you're working on mm. podcasts because sometimes yeah. I really do have to like listen to the thing we're making. Mm-hmm. But sometimes when I'm just like fact checking, there's a lot, of, yeah. a lot of intense googling. I don't have to necessarily be listening to a draft mm-hmm. of an episode, like the sound of it. Um, I I go back and forth between a couple of like. Nintendo lo-fi playlist, one mm. that's normal and one for when it's raining outside. Oh, that's cool. And then I have a mix that is Persona 5 Cafe music. Nice. It's like LeBlanc Cafe ambience. LeBlanc core, yeah. LeBlanc core. So it's good to have something else in the rotation for sure. Yeah. Get some get some jam wine ham fiddle up in there. It's Yeah, 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 yeah why not? <laughs> um I think that's I think that's everything we got. Uh Tori, you got anything you want to add or no, I I I'll keep up posted when I my power through Elden Ring. Please, please pray for me. <laughs> I'm in the worst part. Ugh, really dying out here. Um, but yeah, yeah, that's I'm about good. it. Uh, Tori, where can people find you on the internet to track how you're doing in Elden Ring? Yeah, to track my Elden Ring progress, you can find me at Tori underscore as underscore always. I'm on Twitter at Noah underscore H U R T S trying to spend less time on twitter these days i feel like it's giving me brain damage um but you can find me there you can find the podcast on twitter at press underscore start pod you can email us with what your go-to fortnite skin is or what your favorite lord of the rings book is at uh <laughs> hey press start at gmail.com uh we always appreciate anybody who leaves reviews or anything like that on whatever your podcatcher of choice is We'll, if we get more fun reviews, we'll definitely read them out on the show. All of our music and sound effects are from the artist Geist. You can listen to more of their music at noahgeist.bandcamp.com. And our show art is by Kai at Wisp Graphics. And I think that about brings that one to the close. Uh, I'm going to go get myself a cup of coffee and sit down in Cafe Mario. How about you, Tori? Cafe? Is it Mario time? It's, I think it's Mario time, baby. Mario time.